The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Tear? Sarah Jane? Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Sai, and joining me as always is the man behind the chaos, my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, my friend? I'm not too bad, pal. Not too pal. Uh, not too pal. Uh, I was going to say less gassy than yourself, but apparently my brain's farting, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a strong start this week. It, it, we it's, fitting, it's fitting, though, that we've got this much sort of chaos and, and, and bullshit going on, because this is an auspicious episode. I don't know if you're aware of the significance of what this episode actually is. Go on, Tommy. So not counting my, you know, little foray into solo side projects, this is episode 69 of the Doctor Who pod. <laughs> it's the sex number, uh, in it? What number am I thinking of? 69, dude! <laughs> <laughs> well, I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. That's, that's amazing. Oh, brilliant. Look at us going on, on and on and on and doing well. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you're not sick of me yet, which is always a good sign. <laughs> uh, on today's show, we are diving way, way, way back to 19, uh, 1969, Dan. There you go. See? It Didn't even realise that before I wrote it down. It all ties in. Bloody hell. Yes, January 1969, a, oh, a black-and-white six-parter from the Patrick Triton era, Seeds of Death. Now, I want to put a little... Um, I suppose little precursor, right? little statement right? before we get going. There's going to be multiple occasions I refer to this story throughout this podcast, right? This recording as Seeds of Doom. I'm not going to bother noting down when I do it and changing it. I'm just going to say now, I'm going to get it wrong. It is what it is. Everyone has to live with it because it saves me having to edit so much. So there we go. Fair enough. Fair enough. I um, I will frequently do what I always do and refer to things not by their name, but by what is actually in my notes. So fair enough. <laughs> because uh, I, I, well, we're quite honest. It, we get to the I think we get to the final part before we even realise what one of the main villains is called before they actually tell us. So, or the name of of somebody. Yeah, yeah, oh, the okay. name of one of the villains. It, it bugged the fuck out of me, and then finally in episode six, I said, "That's his name. Thank you." <laughs> right. Okay. Just to clarify, which one is that? Is it the guy who is... I mean, ultimately, this is a story that has the Ice Warriors in it. We're going to dive into that shortly. But is it the guy who's helping the Ice Warriors? No, because that guy's name is Pukin. Right, because I didn't get his name for ages, and all my notes just call him Whingy Guy. I've, I've pretty much called him a, a whinging fuckback throughout. Mm. Uh, but no, it's the, the sort of the Ice Warrior leader on the moon base when we get there. It's uh, it, we get to the sixth episode before they tell us that it's called that it's called Sal, 
And Zoe just drops it in as though it was common knowledge. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, yes, but there we go. This is an Ice Warriors story, the second Ice Warriors story. Um, apparently, they were very popular in the original story that was aired in 1967. So them coming back was seen as a bit of a big deal at this time in the 60s, which I, which I quite like. It's, it's a new, effectively a new villain at this time, and they're building up this sort of aura around them. They appeared a few more times in Classic Who, but of course we got them back in New Who as well, Dan, didn't we? Which I'm sure I'm assuming you'd be much more familiar with. We did. I think it was a Capaldi episode, uh, if memory serves. I can't remember who the companion was. Clara. Um, of course, yeah. No wonder that sprung to mind so quickly for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember him coming back. I remember the episode being not so good, or at least didn't grab me as much as others. But as we've seen, looking at Capaldi throughout this uh, throughout this project, if you want to call it that, um, some of his are sort of sleeper classics, so it might be one to maybe look back at this evening and, and see how it holds up. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, potentially. As villains, I find as, as, well. as, as villains, as villains. Sorry, carry on. No, oh, go on. No, no, you carry on. Yeah, as villains, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, as villains, I like the idea of them, and and they brought them back with a um, with a much better sort of modern look, I think, than uh, mm-hmm. what we see here. But I'm not going to judge it too harsh on, on the looks because it was the sixties and the and money was tight. Well, this is it as seen by some of the effects, which we'll no doubt get into as we discuss this story. Uh, I I find, oh my goodness, I find with certain classic Who villains, I mean, the Daleks are iconic, obviously. The Master can regenerate so you can update him and so on. The Cybermen have been updated greatly compared to the various incarnations that we get in classic Who. And that works for them as well because they're always upgrading themselves. So you can write that in and make it make sense. Mm. I find with things like the Ice Warriors, things like the Santarans, and especially the Sea Devils when they came back in Whitaker's era, they just all look a little bit crap now. Yeah, the Sea Devils especially, they, they did what they could with the, you know, with essentially with CGI and trying to make them look a bit more realistic. But I mm. don't think it helped. I don't think it helped any, weirdly. I would have preferred them to come back as practical effects and looking a bit fit. I, w- when we had the announcement that the Sea Devils were coming back for one of Whitaker's sort of farewell specials, I guess, I was really, really excited. And then mm. I watched the episode and, I mean, we'll end up covering it at some point for the, for the podcast, but put it this way, I was crazy disappointed to the point where I was like, I ain't fucking watching that ever again. But we'll dive into that <laughs> when we cover it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I ain't watching that ever again, except when I do a podcast about it. Yeah, there's a few of those we got. We got to cover, isn't there? <laughs> you know, Peter K springs to mind, but never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, this story has Zoe and Jamie as the companions, and it's set in two main locations. Really, we have a moon base, and we have the planet Earth. And in the future, when the Doctor's TARDIS materializes and and, and they arrive in there relevant scene for their for their arrival their appearance in the in the program for, on the, on this story we have something called transmat in the future which uh, is it's, it's now it's not transmat it's tmat tmat sorry i'm going to do that but all the way through um, as well yeah, but, but that's what that's exactly where my head went every time because we've we've spent 18 years now um since doctor who came back with this type of travel being called transmat mhm 
You know, yep. so again, you can't you can't blame us. No, no. Uh, th- th- that's the nature of the beast now. Apparently, in in this time in the future, and everything depends on the invention of this tea mat. Food, medical supplies, and so on are getting moved around the world via this teleportation device. And the moon base also has a big part in that because certain things go via the moon to other parts of the world and all this sort of stuff. And I, I, I like this whole future sci-fi 1960s feel to it what people mm. thought in the 60s it was going to be even down to um one, one of the main characters in this is um miss kelly she's effectively one of the higher ups in control of, of the uh of one of the bases even how she's got her hair done and so on it's almost like they're trying to put a future futuristic twist sorry on virtually everything you see to really hammer home that this is in your future this is what things you know we we a dictator going to look like in the future possibly and so on and the real f- 1960s sci-fi feel to it I, I loved a lot of the presentation of this even the wobbly special effects done yeah they did they did a very good job on uh, on a lot of the effects you know given what they given what they had to work with and like you said the the, the sets and the costume theming um it all we all worked very well and, and that spread into some of the other production aspects like we start with a brilliant white sort of title screen mm-hmm. and sinister music, and we're, we're viewing the Earth from behind the moon. Yeah. And, you know, just to put across that these are the two places that we're looking at where we're going to be. And every episode starts that way, but periodically as well, as we're splitting between moon base and Earth base, they have these transition shots of that as well. And it's obvious that they've done quite well with the miniatures and later on with the... Um, you know, when we get some rocket travel and landing and, and things in, in orbit, they've, they've done an excellent job with the miniatures, which looks a bit ropey now, but for, for the time feels ahead of its time, quite frankly. Yeah, I think this is you know, when people go back and potentially watch this, I think you need to have that mindset of, we say it all the time, don't we, with Classic Who, especially some of the black and white stuff. You need to put mm. yourself back into that time and what you're watching. And something that I kind of, I suppose, use quite often as a bit of a cliche now is that you need to bear in mind sometimes, especially with the black and white who, and then going into Pertwee's era that was filmed in black and white and colour and all that sort of stuff. It's filmed on certain equipment to be broadcast or played or whatever on certain other equipment, so television screens. And even when it got home releases in later years on like the VHS tapes and so on, this is mm. way before the days of HD and Super HD and 4K HD and all that sort of, you know, huge, you know, wankathon of technology. It's just, it's, no one likes getting caught off guard by a wankathon. Um, <laughs> a technological one at that. No, definitely not. So I think when we watch some of these back, I mean, you, you can get remastered issues and, and, you know, we're looking now at Doctor and the Daleks being colorized for broadcast on the on the twenty third, the date of the sixtieth anniversary. But when you look back at the originals, the black and whites, and even some of the more touched up versions, but from the past, when we watch them on these HD pro televisions, I think it makes it look worse potentially than it once was, because almost the fuzziness of the old television might have just hidden a little bit of the roughness around the edges. Does, mm. that, does that make sense? Yeah. 
It really does because that happens um, with Star Wars, uh, another great sci-fi institution. Star Wars has had so many uh, re-releases and effects updates and CGI overlays and, and bits and pieces like that for the original trilogy that we've always said, you know, CGI doesn't quite age as well as practical effects in a lot of instances. Yeah. And now looking back on, on some of the Star Wars that I used to watch, you know, on the you know, on an older DVD even, it isn't suited to or done any favours by a new telly. It just isn't. So yeah, that that logic absolutely tracks. Yeah, and, and there's certain scenes that I've got little notes about here, and if we get round to them and get a chance to talk about them, I'll point them out as being, I think, considering again it's in black and white and the limitations they had at the time. I mean, the way it's filmed and the the cinematography of it, it's really striking and looks, to me, fantastic, especially for the era. But we'll get round to those uh, as we progress. Um, effectively, I'm not sure how we're going to cover this, Dan, because there's some episodes we go bit by bit and there's some we kind of jump around and give a general feel for. Now, this is a six-parter, so it takes a little bit of time to break down, I feel. But mm. the the general gist of the whole plot and again, I like this, by the way. I think this is I think this is a clever story. Is that the Ice Warriors, that they're obviously coming from Mars, that's their home planet. They need somewhere else to live. They need another planet. And they yeah. are going to take over Earth. And they're going to use the TMAT technology. God, I thought every urge in my body not to call it Transmat then. They're going to take the, <laughs> the TMAT technology and they're going to rather than invade with huge you know, armadas of ships and so on, it's a little bit cleverer than that. They've given it a bit of thought, these icy fellas, and they've decided they're going to use the TMAT to send effectively pods and seeds that contain certain fungus, which will then help wipe out part of the human race so they can then take over with more ease in the future. And by using the TMAT, which already sends food and medication all over the world, They've got a tailor-made system to distribute their, as I suppose the title is, Seeds of Death, to take over the planet. I think, as far as a Doctor Who idea goes, that's really clever. It's not just armies of Daleks turning up and exterminating everyone, or loads of Cybermen appearing and just, we are in control now. There's a little mm. bit more of a, a clever little niche to what they're doing, a clever little twist to what they're doing, I think. There's a bit more thought to the plan, almost. So it's kind of the inverse to what we had last week. Last week we had the Doctor, Sylvester McCoy. Everything was revolving around him and his plan and playing out how he wanted it. And we were being taken on a ride by the Doctor's sort of machinations. In this, it's the villain that has the plan that the people can't quite figure out. And it's sort of a slow reveal across the first four episodes, really, of what they're mm. sort of building to. And I think that aspect, like you say, is really well done. I do have um, a little bit, a little bit of a problem with some of the pacing of this. Um, I think it's one of those where it could have maybe been cut down a little bit, but it's it's not the it's not the most sort of egregious example of pad of padding it out that that we've seen really. Um, but yeah, in terms of the villainous plan and all of that, really smart, really subtle, very well done. Um, yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, okay. Uh, effectively, we have a, a group of 
I don't know. How, I never know how to describe them. Secondary characters, maybe. Um, we, you know, we have the Doctor and his companions. They're always the most prominent, of course. Yeah. But wherever the Doctor goes, there's always others. Not the bad guys, but there's always others around him that sort of are involved in the plot. Nor- normally, is the case anyway. So here we have um, a few high ups from the uh, the team at production i suppose or company or or they're very high up in the controls of this miss kelly is i think an absolute star in this program i think she's a really really good character Uh, and again i think it shows how progressive doctor who has always been with regards to this is 1969 and there are moments in this where zoe displays you know a lot of intelligence and zoe is putting some of the men in their place and miss kelly is in charge and bossing the men around so again it's, i think it shows how doctor who has always been quite progressive when it comes to that sort of thing yeah absolutely um gia kelly takes no shit whatsoever and i think no. it's brilliant especially when we see a couple of characters later on in this um just being bureaucratic officious middle managing knobheads yeah yeah, definitely. Uh, we also have Professor Eldrin. Now, we, we come to, we'll, talk, we'll come to him in a moment because it, the, the show opens, as you said, down with these shots of space and so on. Then we're on the, we're in the base with um, Kelly kind of orchestrating stuff being sent to Russia and this place and that place and all sorts. Then we cut to the moon base and we see three people who are manning the moon base there. Mm. And a door opens and we hear lots of screaming and then almost like a Jurassic Park effect, but from the view of whatever is walking towards them. And this is obviously the the takeover of the moon base that the the bad guys of the part are orchestrating as the first part of their plan. Mm. Then the TARDIS materializes and we get a view on the scanner of a Russian rocket which you know was quite prominent back in in this era. This is 1969, so the the moon race was you know well underway, and people getting up in into space, the Russians and sending rockets up there and satellites and all, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. But it turns out, and I love this because the Dodger's confused about what we're looking at, and then slowly pieces it together, and it turns out they're in some kind of a museum, which is owned by uh, Professor Aldrin, who becomes quite a prominent figure in this story, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. A solid first name as well. He's called Daniel, uh, which, you know, ah, okay. I love that. Uh, yeah, Daniel Eldred. Um, <laughs> and they're in his museum, so there's a 21st century rocket in the spacesuit from the 60s, blueprint, blueprints from Da Vinci, and, and the spaceman was, was Yuri Gagarin, first man in, first man in space. Uh-huh. Um, I, I like this sort of twist, because you think, for all the teasing and whatnot, that they're going to actually be in space. But no, it's um, it, that was that was done pretty well, and yeah. I really like that they um, took the time as well to don't have a couple of minutes, um, just basically establishing what was going on in a very short hotel way. They showed people arriving for work and just going about the daily business, so you get an idea of who's wearing the sort of the pecking order and the ranking of the of what was going on. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, in in the museum, I get a bit of a feeling it runs quite quite strongly with Jamie on more than one occasion, not just in this story, but every time we see him, it feels like the doctor is taking his kids out on a day trip or <laughs> it's, it's, or it's a school trip. And Jamie, especially and Zoe, they're the, they're the naughty kids. And the teacher is saying, don't touch that. No, no, stay over here, please. No, don't, you know, because Jamie shortly goes running over to this rocket and he's like, Oh, doctor, look at the size of this one. And the doctor is just no, literally I- like, Oh no, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, no, it's, I know it's episode 69, but careful. Hey. <laughs> the doctor just constantly like, no, don't touch Jamie. Don't do this. Don't do that. So it's almost like he needs him on a leash of some sort because he's going to get himself into some, some trouble or break something, isn't it? The thing is, that kind of makes sense because let's not forget the time period Jamie's from. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. Doctor, you know, yes, he's been with the Doctor for a while now, but he's still going to be sort of astounded by all this. And mm. there's a lot of blanks to fill in there, so I kind of get it. And Zoe, yeah, you're right, but in a, in a different way with Zoe, because she's more like the one who's really intelligent and, and interested, but wants to just get hands in and start tinkering, you know, and know how things work, but she's never going to break something in a, in a pursuit of understanding. Yeah. I think with Jamie as well, having watched a lot of Triton's era, but especially when I'm really paying attention and making notes and so on for the, for the benefit of this podcast, the feeling I get with Jamie is he's like the kid that you say, don't touch that. And he instantly got to touch it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like the doctor will say like, you know, Jamie will run over to like a control panel and be like, doctor, look at all these buttons. And then Triton will be like, Oh no, Jamie, don't be touching that. Oh no, we don't know what those do. And then Jamie will press a button and all these alarms will go off. And the doctor's like, God damn it, Jamie, you've caused the end of the fucking world. Now look, I told you not to do. You know, it's that kind of situation with Jamie quite often. I feel. Yeah, he literally does that later on in one of the later episodes. Goes to push a button, and uh, it it just turns the lights off. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> but but the doctor doesn't help himself. I know we'll get to it, but it, it was when they've been pursued out by an ice warrior, and the doctor's looking around for the door controls, and he, he spends like thirty seconds farting around waiting for the ice warrior to get as close as he possibly can. Because oh, it's probably this one that says shut. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Some of the controls here, they are um, very well-labeled, shall we say, but we'll get to that shortly. Uh, we, we find out that Professor Elgin owns this this museum, and he is very much a um, an advocate of rocket ships, as it's referred to throughout the whole of this episode, oh, we're using this rocket, which sounds a little bit not quite as sci-fi as I want it to sound. I don't know why, but it, it was almost like I wanted it, a different name for the rocket. It was at the time, though. You know, rockets mm. and, and rocket ships were were what they were referred to as, you know, throughout the development and, and the launching and all of that. It's, I think it's because in modern times, you, when you hear rocket, you think of missile. Yeah. You think of a point. weapon rather than, rather than a transport. So I think that's just a generational thing. Um, I did like the, the first interaction between the Doctor and, and Eldred where they're just, you know, they're just nerding out basically. And it's it's just kind of nice, you know, two older blokes getting together, being nerdy, enjoying the rockets and all the science. And Jimmy and Zoe's like, fuck, what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> um, the gist of it is then basically that the, the, the transmat has, has now been deactivated. There's an issue with it. It's broken because of these aliens that are on the moon. There's no way of contacting the moon base. So much to um, the professor's joy you'd think but he protests one hell of a lot to the point where it gets annoying oh this did my teaching they decide the only way to get to the moon to get any contact to the moon and just see what's going on is to use outdated technology one of his rockets which needs maintenance and work on and so on so i like the way that it ties in the the fact that they're in the museum and this guy loves all his uh, you know old technology so to speak for the for the, for the story they're telling 
But and I understand him protesting a little bit and being a bit grouchy about it. But he went so long with being pissed about it, didn't he? He did, but there's a there's an annoyance before that that I haven't, and it's the start of of Fusion's involvement because when the when the Ice Warriors are taking over, uh, a fella called Osgood, who I like to think is related to Osgood, who'd appear in the Capaldi era and, and before that, uh, yeah. she came into in the 50th anniversary, um, wrecked the video link and completely cut off uh, the moon base from Earth, and then Fusion just is just a massive coward and embarks on six episodes of whinging like hell. Yeah, he's a bit of a bitch, isn't he? Oh, God, all I've got in... Every time he opens his mouth, I've just got fusion wines about X. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've got. But, yeah, this whole thing with Eldred, when he's... He, he's kind of proven himself in one way to be full of bluster because he's very... He's obviously had a, got a history with the, the commander, as, as we find out. Um, and he's saying, you know, my family were in rocketing for rocketeering for generations. Father engineered the first lunar module. Was like, we need to use one of your rockets. Uh, uh, d- 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 no, it's not safe enough. No, you're not allowed. No, fuck you. I yeah. don't care about people dying. It's my rocket and it's not safe. Blah 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 blah. And we eventually find out that it's you know he blusters on about rockets, but he's not really got one ready to go. And no. he's kind of now that he's actually having to follow through on his word, he's, he's shitting bricks a little bit. So ultimately, he's a he portrays himself to be a sh- bit of a shit house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> um, a rocket, a rockety, rockety shit house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that's effectively give or take a few other scenes and, and character building. There's not much more we learn massively from the very first episode for me. They're, they're so, mm. It's almost like they're setting the scene of what's to come in the rest of the story, and they do it quite well, I think. But the the big thing for me is is the the cliffhanger at the end, if we can get mm. to that. Because the Ice Warriors, as I said, this is their big return from their very first story. And it was purposely done by the production team, the direction, and so on, that we don't see what they are. Until yeah. literally the very last scene when the camera turns to them and the Ice, the Ice Warrior leader demands that one of the soldiers kills somebody. And they even went as far as to say to the Radio Times when they were giving the list of people who were in the cast of this episode, those who played the Ice Warriors were listed just as aliens for episode one because they didn't want really? the, the word Ice War, the term Ice Warriors in the Radio Times and effectively giving a an early day spoiler, I suppose, for the reveal at the end of the episode. And I think it, if you put yourself back into that era and you've already seen the Ice Warriors, you know, two years previous and then they're back oh my word could you imagine the buzz that, that must have felt to like long-term fans of the show who've been watching the previous story that'd be incredible absolutely incredible and, it, and it's a wonderful moment and, and a, a decent cliffhanger because this all happens as uh, the two technicians who are left with fusion are, uh, are trying to get a uh, get a message down to down to earth Yes. And all they get to say is we're in desperate trouble. Osgood, Osgood is dead, and we are. And it cuts off. You know, having to wait a week for that to come. It's a pretty bloody good cliffhanger. Yeah, it is. It is indeed. Um, part two of of this six parter begins with the f- the three on the moon base. One is dead. One's basically gone on the run 
around the moon base. He's trying to get away. And then we have old Whingy Bollocks himself stuck with the Ice Warriors, who's been told he has to fix the Transmat or they're going to kill him. Yeah, so, and at this point, I realised that Fusion looks like an older version of Will from Stranger Things. I've not seen it. Anybody listening who's seen the episode will get it, though. Okay. He's, he's got he's got a similar look on his face. He looks like he could be, you know, Will 40 years in the future or something like that. And, yeah, this is a continuation of Fusion being a bitch. And my other major annoyance in this show is that the Ice Warriors breathe like perverts trying to pass a tricky shit. Yeah, but that is... It gets annoying the more they talk and the more we experience it. I, but, but again, bear in mind, you know, it's a six-parter. Yeah, people would have been watching between twenty and twenty-five minutes of television yeah. every every seven days. I watched yeah, all six episodes in. Yeah, I watched all six episodes in one hit. I know you split it into two or three. I think Dan, didn't you? Three last night, three this morning. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we've effectively, even you splitting it into three and three, it's over the course of, of a night. So we've effectively watched all six in relatively one hit. Mm. Perhaps we are getting annoyed with it because we're not watching that noise and that voice in the way it was originally intended to be broadcast. Because you'd have seven days to sort of forget yeah. about it. Yeah, I can go along with that. Absolutely. Um, it's not something I remember from when they were brought back. But by the end of this, I, I wanted to strangle them myself. Mm. I really yeah. it got on my tits so much and it's it's not a fault of of the show like you say it was designed to be watched weekly rather than all in one hit but god it it just it, you know when you see on you see on TV someone's like eye twitching yes as, as they get as they get or more pissed off I was a bit, I was a bit like that sat in my living room I suppose as well I mean, I, I've not got in front of me a list of of bad guys or aliens in front of me, but we're in we're in '69, so the show's been going what six years or five and a half years at this point. You know, November to mm. this being broadcast end of January and so on. Yeah. If you look at the bad guys that we've experienced in that early time period, it's Daleks, it's Cybermen, very robotic, monotone mm. voices. Um, we've seen aliens or, or bad guys that are humanoid with human voices. I suppose it's quite a, it's quite a depart from the norm for that era as well, maybe. Yeah, and, and these are meant to be reptilian as well, so I get why they went for the hissing. Mm. They're meant to be sort of sibilant, snake-like, all of that, and and like I said, I can see it all and all that. It was just a, it was just one thing that that bugged me that all yeah. the way through. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think if, too, yeah. if I if I were to go back and watch it, I would have to space it out. I'd have to maybe do an episode a day. Okay. Okay, but, uh, yeah. we've got bloody fireworks going off here now again because I live in a shitty part of Gloucester full of scumbags. So if you can hear all the noise coming from the field opposite my house, I apologise in advance. But we've, I can't we've, got a drink. we've got a drink over. I think that's what I've been hearing when I've been thinking that people are at my door. But we've got a drink over outside of mine, and my old man's just pulled the car into the driveway. And it's gone off with such a pop that it scared the living shit out of me. Uh, I just now envision, I'm, I'm sat upstairs on my usual little uh, recording podcast station bit, I suppose you might refer to it as. I just know my dog downstairs is going to be absolutely petrified and climbing on the sofa now because some idiot is letting off fireworks again. I hate these bastards around here. But anyway. Two, two weeks after bonfire night, pricks. Pricks. Um, but this will be it now till Christmas, New Year. They just do it every night. They're assholes. But anyway. Yeah, the, anyway, doctor, yeah, the doctor now 
puts forward. Um, I, I liked this because the Doctor, Zoe, and Jamie kind of have a little conversation and decide all together. Oh, should we give them a hand? We can fly the rocket for them because they're unsure as to who they're sending up, aren't they? Yeah, it's and it's all to kill a bit of time with Eldred still having a having a bit of a whinge and it, it, you know Radnor's optimistically saying it takes more than enthusiasm for liftoff and all of that and it's it's just helping all that tick along. Um, but I did quite like it. it's like yeah, Zoe's just there thinking, well, I can I can sort all that. The doctor the doctor knows what he's doing and Jamie's just like I can punch something. Yeah, because they say, don't they, that the rocket can only take three. And Jamie straight away is like, well, I'm going. If I was the doctor, I'd be like, no, Jamie, no, we don't. You stay here and press buttons. You shouldn't. It's safer for me personally. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, he starts trying to say that, doesn't it? And the situation just completely gets away from him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Jamie. <laughs> um, it's not we get announcements. Uh, we're getting announcements as well that medical supplies and food are not getting to the destinations already that they're supposed to be getting at because of the TMAT issues. And this means that very soon millions will die. So that's something to look out for. You know, got to be a bit cautious of that. But back on the moon, we have Ice Warrior, I don't know what you call them, soldiers, I suppose, because they're dressed different to the leaders, aren't they? Um, yeah. They're being sent, or at least one of them is being sent to look for the technician who's gone on the run around the moon base. His name was Phipps, I believe. Is that correct? That's the one. Yeah. Okay. And at one point, they go into a room that looks almost like a storage cupboard, but it ends up being far more important than that. It's all to do with the solar energy and power supplies, and there's lots of tech lying around and so on. And this ends up being a reoccurring room in the rest of the story. It ends up almost being like a little bit of a a base inside the base for the doctor and his, his uh, associates there. But the one, the ice warrior at some point does walk into this room looking for Phipps and he glances around the whole room and Phipps is like fucking two yards away, hiding behind a cupboard and is in blatant view. And the ice warrior just turns around and walks away again. I was like, yeah, well, it, 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 it it's a running theme. No, it's a running theme where the ice warriors suffer from intermittent blindness. Yeah, where they're just knocking about, you know, and, and looking for people. I thought they were going to do a predator thing where the vision's based on movement. Okay, yeah, that'd have been good. But they didn't. Just yeah. they just can't see shit apparently when it, when it's convenient. Mm. Yeah, that is true. Uh, and with regards to the ice warriors themselves, then their their appearance, and this again comes back to I think the the black and white blurry imagery of how this was filmed and done. I think, especially when we get close-ups of their leader's face with the teeth and so on, I think the, the cut images of them, the, the almost still images of them, they look pretty good. It's 1969. There's not masses of money there. I think they look pretty bloody good. My issue yeah, is, well. yeah, my issue is as soon as they start moving, <laughs> then you lose a little bit of that, don't you? It's it's when you see the soldiers and you realise they're built like me, but with even bigger love handles, and they're just sort of waddling the way through. It's not exactly threatening. Yeah, and you, you I mean it's the same as like you know the old adage of if you're chased by a crocodile, run in zigzags because they can't turn quickly. Yeah, I feel you could do that to an ice warrior if you just well, run Jimmy, around in Jimmy turtles. Does. Yeah, Jimmy does in episodes five or six. Okay. 
He actually does just duck and dive and, and jump around because the Ice Warrior can't physically move fast enough to get a bead on him to shoot him. Although I will say, we, we forgot to talk about this before, um, the effects on the um, on the Ice Warrior guns when they're fired are pretty bloody good. But it goes all squiggly and yeah. almost like a, like a black hole pulling it all into a point. And the sound effects as well, very 60s sci-fi. I quite like that. Yeah, yeah, I did enjoy those. It did look like that. I mean, downstairs in my kitchen, um, we've got a couple of torches in a certain spot for if the power goes and we have to get to the certain certain things in the house. Mm. It did look like the torch from my kitchen is just gaffer taped to the arm of the sea devils, and that's what the gun is. The sea fair. devils. Sorry, the um, ice warriors. <laughs> I knew you didn't like they go off on a tangent with some of the names. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. I don't know what's going on there. But it did look like they got my kitchen torch so I taped to their arm and some shots. Yeah, it did a bit, but that, again, they did such a good job with the detail on the close-ups for the faces that you know something had to give. So I'm willing to. Yeah. It, it looked it looked well enough, and I give them I give them props as well for thinking to to have built-in weaponry. Oh yeah, yeah, very true. Um. The Doctor is is leaving Earth now. He's he's in the rocket. It's been set up all ready to go. He's been given instructions on what to do and and, and little notes of paper handed to Zoe as well to help you know, help them when they arrive at the other uh, end to the moon. Right. I have to say as well, at this point, uh, the Doctor's wangled his way on, him and the companion's way on, by saying that Zoe has total recall. Yes. So she can remember everything. Bear that in mind for what happens later on, because well, it's it's not a memory well, thing. She, when the doctor says she's got total recall, he means just on Betamax. Oh, ah, got you. Okay, right. She yeah. watches it Big every Annie. day on the TARDIS. Big Annie <laughs> fan. Yeah, yeah, that's um, it. <laughs> on that, uh, just quickly, that solar energy store room uh, where the where Fitz was hiding. I really like the shot they had from like the top corner of the room. Yeah, so you can see how he's hiding and the path that the Ice Warrior's got to take. And that was really great foreshadowing for what's going to happen later on when he's uh, when he's finished tinkering about. Well, yeah, because I mean, as the Doctor and his companions are getting set to take off in the in the rocket, Phipps is toying around with the tech, and it looks initially like he's building a trap. Then it looks in, like he's actually trying to put together some kind of radio or contact device. And then we eventually find out he's actually done both. So, so fair play to Phipps. Good work, pal. Yeah, smart motherfucker. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Um, not like fusion prick. No, fuck him. I'm <laughs> <laughs> being like related a... to Adric. <laughs> oh, fuck Adric as well. Neither of those will get invited to Zoe's special total recall airings in the TARDIS. It's my beat of action. Not watching it with me. You whinge too much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that what it's like when my brain goes off on a tangent and words just fall out of my mouth? Yeah, <laughs> you can imagine the can't you? The doctor just shouting now. Jamie, bring the popcorn. Well, I pressed the buttons, doctor, and it's all gone black. Oh, Jamie, you've done it again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he somehow managed to reverse it back into actual calm. Yeah. <laughs> Zoe, can't we watch a different film? I've got Terminator 2. No, doctor, no. It's got to be Total Recall or nothing. Or I'm taking my VHS away. Um, <laughs> I've not what slept, mate. <laughs> I've not slept. 
<laughs> just for those aware, it was a, a AEW big wrestling event last night. I got to bed about half past six this morning, and I got up not long after that. So I'm in a bit of a silly mood. I'm being I'm currently surviving on um, the nicotine from my vape bars and cans of Monster and Relentless. So I'm kind of twitchy as we record. So who knows where this is going to end up? Um, <laughs> the doctor. So anyway, Yes. <laughs> that makes no sense to anyone because we didn't record that bit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so the doctor's on a rocket. <laughs> yes, the rocket takes off and they're talking to Jamie about G-Force and he's like, oh, I'll be all right. About, I'll be all right. Don't worry about it. And the doctor and uh, Zoe are both like, no, Jamie, you don't understand. And Jamie's like, no, I'll be fine. And the doctor's like, oh, Jamie. And um, <clears throat> the rocket takes off. And to show the G-Force, they've literally got their hands on the side of their faces and are pulling their t- cheeks out, which I thought oh. was so funny. They're trying to disguise it as some sort of brace position. Yes. <laughs> like, like you used to get told to do on like an airplane, you know, put your hands behind your, your head and all that. But they are just blatantly pulling the faces back and look like the yeah. kids pulling, just dicking about. It was... They, <laughs> it's so funny but it's so wonky it carries on as well though because when they finally get um out of the earth's uh gravitational pull i suppose and they're heading (laughs) they yeah they're still buckled in um with what looks like you know seat belts they've just took from a you know somebody's full cortina in the car park or something i don't know and they they say oh we'll have to apply our own gravity machine now because they're all there just with their arms and legs in the air looking really uncomfortable yeah <laughs> trying to make it look like they're floating but side down it's brilliant it was wonderfully crap it was oh it was so good that's that's the best way to say it. it's wonderfully crap but they've also been told that the they're, they're going to an old um Rocket outpost. They've got some sort of homing beacon. They've only got enough fuel, uh, fuel to really get them there, and then they've only got enough food and water for three days. That's the crucial thing. But they've got to activate some radio homing beam. Yes, yeah, like a signal that helps drag them in. I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, homing beacon. Yeah, um, yeah. and then we've got um, we've got Kelly, uh, Miss Kelly on on the Earth, then wanting to go to repair the console when when T Mac's working. Uh, and all the rest of it, and Fusion is still doing his repairs and having a whinge. Yeah. It gets to that point with him where it's like, look, you're working with the Ice Warriors. You're going to help the Ice Warriors because otherwise you're going to die. You've made that decision now because you don't want to die. And I can can understand why, because he doesn't want to get fried by the the kitchen torch, does he? He wants to survive this. (laughs) And, And he's a... He's still bitching about it. It's like, look, mate, no one's going to hate you for making this decision, but you're well, pissing everyone off because you're quite a moany little twat. It's when, you get, it's when it gets to later on and he's whinging uh, to Zoe, I think it is. He's like, you think I'm on their side. You think I'm helping them. And she goes, well, you have been. Yeah. And he's got no answer because he has been. Oh, because to save his own skin and to survive a few minutes longer. Yep. He can't. He can't come to terms with the fact that he's a fucking cowardly windbag little shit house made of twat. Yeah, indeed. Um, we have a. Few... I, don't, I don't like fusion. Can you tell? No, I, I'm I'm not a fan. Uh, <laughs> we have a few, <laughs> I suppose, um, technical moments now because we have something that breaks and something gets fixed. The T-Mat link is fixed. 
which is quite yeah. important because then it manages to get um, Miss Kelly and two others up onto the moon, but it's only set to go one way from 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 earth to the moon they can't do anything else mm. and there's still no contact with them so they can't message to see what's going on so they decide to send miss kelly and uh two technicians up to the moon to fix the issues but the other side of the coin the rocket starts to break there's smoke in the control room and everyone's panicking panicking a little bit and you know things aren't going right and we, they, they lose the homing beam here as well don't they they do yeah they lose the homing beam they've got all the comms knocked out it's um yeah, it's all going a bit tits. Yeah, that, that's literally the, the, the cliffhanger for episode two, isn't it? Because Phipps is in his little Pretty room build, building his um his uh, trap stroke radio device. And the radio when it's when when the um the trap aspect of it is fired up because an ice warrior walks towards him and he, he has to mm. change it from the radio to the uh the trap he's built using the solar power from these plugs in the wall that that fries the ice warrior but also yeah. cuts off the the landing you know homing device that the rocket was attached to and they're all like shit what we're we gonna do now and that's the end isn't it yeah it, and it's brilliant that i, I yes. like the photo the sort of photo negative effect on the uh, on the trap that he's got as well um look brilliant and you know, they're sort of freaking out at the failure and saying that they'll either crash into the moon or drift endlessly through space. It's a real, um, sort of, well, accurate take on space travel, really, for for what little I know about it. But yeah, really, really, another really, really good ending. Um, but, you know, we get a bit more into that with, with uh, Miss Kelly and the two guards going up there and Fusion saying that Osgood has space madness um, and he, you know, killed, uh, killed someone and but then just went out to die, you know, just went out without a spacesuit into the airlock. Um, so, yeah, proper dickhead. But, yeah, it's yeah. so far so good on the, uh, on the, sort of on the intricacy of it all, because it's, there's a lot sort of happening and a lot of back, back and forth, but as I keep saying on these episodes, you never feel lost. No, no. Um, in part three, effectively, is is them trying to get the rocket down on on the moon but in the meantime we've had uh because obviously the team at is pretty instantaneous we've had um miss kelly and our technicians arrive and they're there to fix the team at but also without realizing they're there to fix it by request of the ice warriors because they need it working and mm. this whingy little bastard they've got ain't really cutting it so they need some other people from earth to sort it out for them when it's fixed <laughs> the ice warriors come out kill the two fellas and you know, Miss Kelly is just kind of there, like, shit, what's going on? I got I'm surrounded by whispering lizards now. This is a bit, you know, I was <laughs> expecting this. And <laughs> Which whispering lizards, I like it. And um back on the rocket, the doctor actually starts to pick up Phipps's distress call from his radio that he's built in the solar power ring. And via that, he's able to effectively home in on that or, or get the homing device connected to Phipps's signal and the radio is going to guide the rocket in after all which is which is great it takes the rocket out of limbo because it's going to be, it'll drift through space and they're very adamant mm. we cannot lose this signal this signal is what we need now his radio signal is so important and imperative for us surviving and then 10 seconds later they fucking lost it it's like because somebody on. decided to try and get on the internet fucking die yeah <laughs> exactly 
No, I'm on the phone. <laughs> what I did like at the start of this is that it's always calculated at the present rate of drift they'll be drawn into the heart of the sun in five months and ten days. And Jim just goes, well, there's no need to worry about that then, as we've only got enough food and water for three days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just keeps so it in perspective up, so brilliantly. <laughs> yeah. oh, it, um, it's brilliant. Um, but the, what I do like as well, they actually thought to put in that they're obviously in, in a very quick rocket and they're in an orbit around the moon. And they had to, they had to wait till they got back in range of Phipps' signal because mm-hmm. they were coming back around the moon itself. So I thought that was a nice little touch. And the sort of filling in, using that time to fill in um, the Ice Warriors and why they're there, you know, saying that Mars is dying and they're on the moon as a stepping stone to find a new home. Yeah. yeah really it's, like it's great. That. Yeah. Um, we got a cool shot here as well of, of, of the rocket coming towards the moon. There's some good sort of stock footage of... Um, you know, sci-fi, spacey travel, I guess, and then models of the rocket sort of used in other shots as well. Uh, again, for the time, with what little money they had, I thought these were quite effective. Yeah, really liked it. Said before, I enjoyed the miniature work on this. So yeah, can't fault it. And then Phipps is, you know, working to restore the power and, and make a smooth landing, and it's all quite dramatic, really. Yes, but land they do because the signal guides them in when Phipps has repaired it. And the Doctor then leaves the rockets to go and find Phipps. Uh, Zoe is going to go and check the motors to make sure they're not broke, which instantly makes you think, oh, shit, they're going to be broke. But off she goes anyway yeah. to go and check the site. And Jamie's like, well, what can I do? So they decide to tell Jamie, well, you see this dial here. Just watch it. Don't move. Don't touch a fucking thing, Jamie. Just mm-hmm. watch it. I mean, it could have literally been a clock. Just make sure that second hand keeps going round, Jamie. It's a really important job. So it's basically the Doctor and Zoe saying, just stay out of our way for 10 minutes, pal. We've got really important shit to do. And we and don't, we don't have time to explain it. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what Jamie and actually like, did, yeah, what, Jamie, what Jamie actually did was go outside on, on the rocket, st- stand on a ledge, have a piss off it while eating a biscuit. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Zoe returns from checking the, the the rocket motors, and of course they're broke, um, and that means they need the T mat to get back to Earth because they can't use the rocket. But in the meantime, the Doctor has actually gone to go and shut down the T mat because he is aware that now that these are Ice Warriors and they're going to use the T mat to invade. So the Doctor is going off to effectively shut off the only way of them getting back to Earth now, isn't he? Yeah, which is all you know again quite dramatic. But we have to endure Fusion trying to tell Miss Kelly why his cowardice makes sense. Because he has a bit of a whine. Mm. Oh, does he? Yeah, not like him, I know. I know no. But there we go. The Doctor does make it to Phipps up in the uh, in the Solar Star and they're not, you know, and they've got to destroy the transmat and it's it's all very much a, a race against time now, like you say. It's um it's pretty good. But I, what, one thing I, that always amuses me in in this area of Doctor is the amount of times the companions and the Doctor and whoever else are all just randomly running around and they just happen mm-hmm. to bump into each other. Yeah, and the running around, I've got, a, I've got a note about here because we have an Ice Warrior escorting Miss Kelly somewhere. I don't know where he's taking her, but the, mm. she needs moving to another location for, for whatever reason. Um, the Doctor and Phipps are heading somewhere as well. Uh, but then... 
they kind of cross paths and we get a comical um patrick trayton sort of second guess <laughs> yeah he's, he's looking in one direction where the ice warrior is coming from and he doesn't he almost has like a double take and then he's like you know typical trayton of oh god ice warrior uh and then they all start just running around. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it reminded me of, do you remember um, when you used to get those shots of the cartoon corridors with all the doors down it? Yeah. And the cartoon, Scooby-Doo. you know, yeah, Fred and all that lot from Scooby-Doo would be running in and out the doors. That's what it felt like. Yeah, they did a bit. And, and again, this was very much there to fill time, it feels like, because... You know, the Doctor bamboozles the, the Ice Warrior. They're all going in different directions, but somehow Miss Kelly knows exactly what she should be doing and, and gets away from the Ice Warrior. And the Doctor runs into a couple more, and you know, but he's been separated. And it's all, again, you know, it's very much part of the capture, recapture, get away, capture again thing that that we've seen from Trout and in no small yeah. part in Enemy, Enemy of the World. Sorry, was it Enemy of the World? No. War games. war games, war games, which follows yeah. this. Yeah, they, they, they. I think they get captured like five times in war games. Or so much it was so many there. times. I, I wrote, I wrote it down on a separate, um, on a separate document because it was that many times. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so the doctor is captured by the ice warriors. Um, we hear the ice warriors talking about their cargo, and it's to be sent all over the earth by T-Mat. But in the meantime. Phipps back in his little um, broom cupboard where he's been toying with the solar power has decided I've got a plan. We're going to turn up the heat. We're going to use maintenance ducts to travel down to the control room and turn the heat up because that'll melt them ice warrior fuckers. They don't like the heat. You know, they like it nice and chilly. This will screw them over. So makes that makes sense. sense, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But of course, the heating controls are in the main control room where all the bloody ice warriors are. What are the chances, mate? You, you, you just can't catch a break sometimes, can you? Just can't, just can't. Um, the Doctor has a little look inside what is the Ice Warrior's cargo, and effectively a balloon inflates and pops in his face. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's the salient point of the uh, of what happens. We've we've skipped a few little bits, but it was mostly just planning and uh, saying who can be, you know, who can be. Of you, Cinnamon, and Fusion whining. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, this is these these pods, isn't it? This is literally the seeds of death that are the name of the of the of the cereal. These pods expand, and then when they pop, they spread the seed and the fungus and everything. Sorry, everywhere. in my head, when you said it's, it's the name of the cereal, I imagined like a breakfast cereal called the Seeds of Death. <laughs> i don't think that'd be a good seller somehow no no i don't think that's marketing wise i don't think that's a good name no wouldn't uh, i don't think it'd pass quite a few tests really but sorry i don't like i said, I don't know why my brain went that way but it did mm. oh jamie what did you buy seeds of death for again oh like my weetabix on the tardis oh ah, i did man frosties <laughs> Uh, shut up, doctor, and drink your poison milk as well. You know, that kind of vibe, isn't it? You know, it's... <laughs> um, I apologise for my terrible Triton impression as well, because, I, I, again, I'm so tired. Uh, <laughs> Why start apologising for it now when you've been doing it for so long? I don't know. Oh! Um, <laughs> the, it just the doctor... sounds like what, it's like what he came. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's that. what, it's what he's doing the whole way through this. Every time he's running around, he's he's got special tight pants on that rub a certain way when he's running. That's why Doctor Who's running so often. He's just getting himself off. You know, <laughs> constant lob on. Yeah. Oh, Jamie. Um, the ice. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe, fetch the Total Recall DVD. Um, The Ice ice Warrior has gone out to find Phipps and Jamie again, um, tracks them down to their little broom cupboard, and he gets fried and destroyed, which is good. But oh, are we into episode four now? (laughs) No, this is the end of episode three still. We've got the Doctor unconscious in the control room we've got the plan to go and turn up the heat and we're basically getting told that the cargo is being sent out by uh, tmat and some are sent to london and the tmat control in london where the professor and all that are uh, it arrives they open the door and the balloon starts to expand and that's the cliffhanger there because of course we know it's bad news they're just looking at it like oh look at our balloon so they don't know what's about to happen do they I think that's the end of season uh, of episode four, isn't it? Is well, it not? I, I, yeah. It, let me just sorry, let me just catch myself up. I got I got distracted by all the all the other stuff going on because um, the ice warrior does grab the seed pod and orders Fusion to prepare the cubicle. Oh yeah, that was it. Sorry, yeah, I was getting confused because I've written in my note. No, I couldn't notice it till Brent hears the alert and he goes and touches it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that sounded wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jamie. Um, <laughs> Touch the seat, pod. <laughs> what oh. is this episode, man? <laughs> Matt, Matt, Matt Lewis picked us this episode. He's going to be fuming that we're just going silly on this. <laughs> I think it started very well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got 10 minutes of really solid content. Yeah. That's kind of it, though, for us normally, isn't it? We just got normally te- our 10 minutes of solid content is spread over an hour and a half. This week, the listeners have only got to listen to the first 10 minutes because we bunched it all together for you. Okay? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to know what type of solid content the Doctor was watching at this point. No, not definitely not. Um, the, the beginning of part four, the pod explodes, and it, you know, it obviously, I think it kills somebody, doesn't it, in the, in the, the London yes, um, it kills, uh, room? Kills Brent. Okay, right. Uh, and I, I love, guys, sorry, I just I love that. Sorry to talk over you again, but I love that the solution they have the real high tech solutions. Turn the bloody air conditioning on, and Radman, yes. who is such who is such a middle management fuckwit, tells somebody else to turn the aircon on because he doesn't know how to. Yeah, um, the the Ice Warriors then are now using the transmat to send pods all over the place. That uh, they're literally dispersing it now as as their plan is to be. Jamie and Phipps are on their way to the main control room to turn up the heat, but they can't get through certain vents because they're quite small, aren't they? But that comes back into play in a few moments, doesn't it, Dan? Yeah, it does. It does, yeah. There was a great shot of um, of Phipps Phipps and Jamie's huge heads looking in through this little vent. And again, I'm sure the Ice Warrior should have seen them. Yeah. But he didn't. No. Yeah, and and to be honest, this episode now, so it's up to part four, where I've just written that hissing and breathing is getting right on my tits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, there's a bit here that I kind of got a little bit lost in. I don't quite know what's happened. Um, 
the Ice Warrior controller, the boss, says to adjust the T-Mac controls to basically just send the Doctor out and leave him in space. Yes. But the next thing I remember is the Doctor's back in the little broom-covered controller room. So what happens there? So what happened there was uh, Fusion whinged that he had to uh, recalibrate the controls. Uh, Then he whinged that he didn't want to kill anybody. The Ice Warrior pointed out that he'd already had a hand in killing his entire race, so what's one more life? Uh, Fusion had a whinge a little bit more, Uh, and then while all that whinging was happening, uh, Phipps and Jamie were opening a vent that led into the cubicle, uh, and they'd snuck the Doctor out the back. Ah, I don't know what I was doing at that point. I missed all of that. Uh, Probably just being really angry at Fusion whinging. Yeah, probably, probably. Also, yeah. this plan to use the T-Mat to send the Doctor out into space. Yeah. It's a little bit James Bond, isn't it? It's a little bit James Bond villain. It's like, I'm going to have this elaborate machine that's going to shoot lasers down and cut you off at the scrotum first and all this sort of stuff. And I'm going to tell you my plan for world domination, but then I'm going to leave before I actually see you die. It, it's like, why don't you just shoot the fucker? And that applies to James Bond and here. If they want to kill the Doctor, why don't they just shoot him? Who knows? Well, because the plot demands it, that's why. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it wasn't great. Uh, but yeah, I'll 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 allow it, why not? Uh, <laughs> at this point I've just got in, I've just got in my notes. Pudgy fucks these ice warriors, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's because I know he's been walking around and they've got like big chunky thighs and they've got they've got bigger love handles than I have. They're all they're kind of if you literally just take the silhouette of them, they're kind of Teletubby esque, aren't they? Time for Ice Warrior Custard. No, 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 no. <laughs> Jamie, um <laughs> put it away. They um <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, not total recall now. I've seen it before. Um they <laughs> I've already spent <laughs> we, just to bring it back a little bit, uh, there are more deaths happening on Earth and they're getting they're all getting the same report that same as Brent have all died of instantaneous oxygen starvation, which shouldn't be possible. Yeah. Uh, but it's because the pods explode and then Remove do whether they remove all the oxygen, and they've then effectively unleashed that into London via the air conditioning. And we later find out that this causes a lot of bubble bath to happen. Yes, and again, it's one of those. There are certain moments here because an ice warrior and I um, get sent to London, doesn't it, to sort of pick yes. up the pieces of what's been done. Now, this is what I was talking about. Where there are certain moments that I think were filmed really well considering the limitations they had the ice warrior walking over the horizon or walking over the uh, like a verge into the woods and and all this sort of stuff shot from a distance and you've got the silhouette of the ice warrior against the the, the moon or the sun or whatever what the background was and then yeah. other moments where it's stomping through um all this this foam this bubble bath as you rightfully said that's supposed to be fungus but it's it's not 
so much of it it looks daft just yet with the ice warrior stomping through it and more of these pods exploding around i thought that looked great considering again 1969 yeah it did and, and my personal favorite bit was when the ice warrior appears in the team at cubicle and just fat fucks his way through it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just he, he, he just sort of waddles through like cake. <laughs> oh yes Mr. Yeah, Bobby, it looks good, good it? Yeah, a touch, yeah. Um, and again, again, you know, we, a lot happens, but we can sum it up really by saying that this, you know, there's a lot of this ice warrior making his way through the facilities. We're seeing a lot of the, you know, that the weaponry doesn't work. Meanwhile, on the moon, Jamie and Phipps and Zoe and and, uh, and Miss Kelly are trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, next, uh, Zoe basically volunteers uh, to go in the vents. And she, because she can fit through and, and sneak in, and, and you know she's smaller and quieter, and and all the rest of it. Um, but they go back in the vent, and it hasn't been that long. And this, I feel like this bit can go one of two ways when you look at it, because Phipps and Zoe are in the vent, and he's a tough lost. He can't quite remember the way, because they've been you know round and about, and he's he's not hundred percent certain. And he starts freaking out that all the tunnels look the same. Mm-hmm. But do you know what? He's entirely justified to have a mental breakdown at this point because, oh, yeah. as he rightly says, he's seen his friends killed and he's been hunted by monsters in a base on the moon. So why wouldn't you have a freak out? And, and I do quite find it quite funny that Zoe's then just there just saying, she rightly says it's nervous exhaustion and a bit of claustrophobia. Let's just have a kid. Let's have a bit of a sit down, shall we? Have you ever seen Total Recall? That's, that's <laughs> how it went, you know? <laughs> Um, Zoe eventually gets to the control room and the whingy dude distracts the guard for her. So he's actually doing something decent here. So Zoe mm. can sneak through the little vent and get to the heat control, which the heat control, by the way, reminds me very much of the thermostat in my parents' old house in the 1980s. The thermostat was broken. So the central heating at my mum's house was either on or off and that's what you've got here with the um the heating control in the main control room it's either off or cold isn't it it says it's cold or full-on those are the two options you have you know there's freezing, no oh, freezing or boiling yeah yeah there's no this is comfortable it's you know you freeze to death or let's make you look like the guy at the end of raiders are lost dark with the heat you know those are the those are your two variables in, in heat selection it seems but the ice warrior sees her turns round, aims the gun, and she's going, ah, help me! And that's the cliffhanger for part four, which, again, is pretty pretty dramatic, I guess. You've got to wait a week to see if Zoe gets zapped by the kitchen torch, haven't you? Yeah, it's not half bad. It's not half bad. The And as well as all that, we're getting more um, sort of more revealed that they're figuring out the Ice Warrior plants in all the cities that they've been, these seeds of death have been sent to a cold climate. You know why are there no pods in warm areas, and you know asking all the right questions effectively. Um, but we've got another ice warrior coming into the storeroom where Jamie and Miss Kelly are there, and the trap malfunctions, so they're also in danger as well. So it's kind of like a double whammy. Um, so yeah, yeah, again, not half bad. Yeah, yeah, pretty decent, pretty decent. When we return, um, I've got two notes here. One is quite obvious what's happened. The second one, I think I missed something again. Because my first note says, <laughs> oh, 
obviously Zoe's got to the controller and and turned it up to like full whack. You know, this is going to scorch the place heat and so on. So my first note says that the heat kills the ice warrior, so she doesn't get shot. My second yeah. note just says, "Oh, and Phipps is now dead." And I was like, "All right, sorry, brilliant note making there." What the fuck happened to him? So I missed that as well. What actually happened? The ice warrior at the end of part four gets a shot off, and I thought he was firing at Zoe, but it was oh, okay. But it was after Phipps had shouted, Zoe, look out. The Ice Warrior turned around, fired at him. And then Fusion finally makes his use of himself, trying to wrestle the Ice Warrior's weapon away. And he gets battered around a bit, and Zoe just stands there like a prick. Right. Oh, poor Phipps, man. He was good in this. Yeah, he was. He was. But, you know, we've got an Ice Warrior down. The rest will follow soon, because obviously the control room's the first one to heat up, because the plot needs it to. Um, which again, and so it's actually the second person at this point who's made a pig's ear running away from the Ice Warriors because one of the uh, one of the guards in the facility is trying to examine or, or stop the fungus. It, it encounters an Ice Warrior and just sort of goes from side to side and he forgets how his legs work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, bloody idiots! Um, back on Earth or in London, uh, anyway. Uh, we have two things going on. First of all, uh, the Ice Warrior is heading to the weather control station. So yeah. we know they like the cold climates and so on. So initially I'm thinking, oh, they're just going to go make sure it doesn't get too warm in London here. So that makes sense. But there's a bit more to that, which we'll come to shortly. Um, the second thing is that Sir James arrives and he's like the the team at big, big boss. And I don't see any purpose for this guy being involved whatsoever. I don't understand why he's here. Uh, padding. Okay. Because they have, they have a conversation about basically getting him up to speed because he's he's a typical, you know, knobhead upper management type who can't understand the reports and needs it explaining to him as if he was five. Um, the run through all the problems so far and what's happening and the, the it's just a lot of bluster. Mm. It's actually painful because we've all had those conversations with someone higher up who doesn't actually know what's happening at any point and you're trying to walk them through it and explain why it's not as simple as they think it should be uh, yeah yeah fair point. <clears throat> yeah um, also before this as well the doctor's now fully awake then they're all making their way to the main control room on the moon yes yes um the ice warrior going into the weather control station it looks very similar to the front and the door and so on. looks very similar to the initial entranceway to the sort of control area of Tomb of the Cybermen, if you remember from Triton's era. The doors and, and the layout and the pillars. I'm not sure if it is or not. I, I just, when I saw it, it just reminded me of that that particular entranceway set, if that makes sense. I was going to say it could well have been. Mm. Yeah, I see what yeah. you mean there. Uh, the Ice Warrior sets some controls to dry, which is is that easy to keep the rain away <laughs> in the future. And then he zaps it so it can't be changed. So, yeah, that's quite it was after bit. It was after um, another guy struggled to figure out how to run away. Yeah. Yeah, what is wrong with these people? I don't know. I mean, they're big, but they're not that big. No. I didn't get oh, it. Oh, dear. Oh, and then oh, we get back to the moon, and guess what? Fusion, fusion's whining. Mm, 
Yep. Uh, but it, 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 it's annoying because in this one, he's actually starting to make himself useful because he does figure out a way of getting them back to Earth and tells them he can use the, the delay switch and follow them. Yes. And there's just a sort of moment of levity where the Doctor's excited to travel by team at. It's like, oh, I want to have a go at this. Yeah, they all got in at the same time, you know, which made me mm. kind of think of the fly. When they all get in, that that you know, the the fly gets caught in up with that bloke in the compartment, and it gets zapped to the other one, and it mixes them all up. And Do you know what I've mind, never seen? I've, I've never seen it. See, my mind went there, you know, when because that's the similar sort of thing. They're, they're looking at transporting from one place to another via similar technology. I assume in the sci-fi world, but when they all got into the same thing, I was like, "Are you crazy?" You know, mm. Zoe's going to come out with fucking Jamie's bollocks and, you know, the doctor's going to have Zoe's fucking hair. And I'm like, what are they doing? You know, but it, it didn't happen like that. It literally just went zip and they were okay. So I panicked over nothing, mate. That was, that was a thought process you just walked us through. Um, it was. Thank you for that. Yeah, that was, wow. It went straight for the bollocks. I did. I did. Oh, Jamie. Um, <laughs> Uh, the doctor is now going to analyze some of the the, the fungus, the seeds, the the, the bubble bath. Um, so they got to go out and take a sample. And here we start to get scenes of Patrick Triton out in this mass of bubbles and so on. Or imagine like a, a nightclub or an Ibiza phone party. This is the kind of the scenes we're getting here now with this fungus being blown around. And he, he gathers some, takes it back to. Or he's, he's under threat because there's you know balloons and, and are popping around him all over the place. And he's he's got a hanky over his face though, so that apparently fights off an alien invasion, which is good to know for the future. But he's gathering these these samples to test in the lab, and out of the foam that's in the test tube or, or the, the bottle or container or whatever it is they're using, another one of these um, pods starts to inflate. So the doctor is yep. grabbing any chemicals he can and just chucking them on this fucking thing to try and stop it. And I, I see if there's, you know, something that can stop this happening. And ultimately he throws a, a beaker of water on it, which works. So now the doctor twigs, okay, we've got to get to the weather center to make it rain. So all of a sudden this is all tying together quite well now because the, the ice warrior is set the controls to stay dry and then yep. zap them so they can't be changed. So what the Ice Warrior is doing made complete sense, didn't it? Really clever stuff, yeah. And they didn't leave it too long before they, um, you know, before they brought it out and brought it round. So yeah, again, just the sort of emergence of, of the plan and, and what's going on just keep going, you know. And, and this is not even to say about that the Doctor realizes that, or Eldred, the Doctor and Eldred both realize that this all. Uh, you know, if this fungus spreads, it'll reduce the oxygen on Earth to one twentieth of, of normal, making it uninhabitable for humans, but similar to the atmosphere of Mars. So obviously aiding right. them in finding a new home. But it, even more than that, just to add another layer to it, Fusion as seems to have betrayed them because he pretends to be knocked out as the Ice yes. Warrior leader stumbles in, suffering with the heat, and he, he plays it as though he got overpowered and, and he refused to go with them because he'd be branded a traitor and basically saves his skin for another few minutes. And then we have all this stuff with the, the Ice Warrior fleet coming to land on the moon. They've got this communications thing that's brought in, which is like a, a seven-inch telly and a, I don't know, like a plastic cast of an elephant's leg. 
Yeah. It's, yeah, just really, really interesting. Um, it's, uh, yeah, Jamie and Zoe are, are in, you know, skirting the bubble bath trying to find a way to the weather controller. Um, but they don't know the Ice Warriors in there as well. So we're, we're led into another really good, um, sort of perilous uh, cliffhanger for the end of the episode because the doctor's stuck in the fungus and the explosive pods with only a hanky to save him. And then the Ice Warriors bearing down on uh, on Jamie and and Zoe's hiding place. So we've got another week where we're doing pretty well on the old cliffhangers. Oh, yeah. Totally agree with you, mate. Totally agree with you. The whole Zoe and Jamie going to the weather centre themselves thing, though, comes back to your point about the higher-ups uh, um, and, and the bureaucracy and, and so on. Because the reason they have to go themselves is because they can't find anyone who's in power to get a mm. signal to the weather centre because they're all in a fucking meeting. Now, how, <laughs> how that's just so you know workplace bullshit that you find, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Yeah, we've all had that again, and it, it, it's you know this is 1969, and it's still like that now. It's, yeah. it's madness because the whole plan is they're going to send up a satellite to mimic a um, uh, to mimic the signal because of all people, bloody fusion reestablishes the video link and lets them hear the signal. He do, he does make um, use of himself once more, and he gets killed for it, and. Um, I'm fucking glad he's dead. And there was much rejoicing. Um, with uh, <laughs> Jamie. <laughs> oh, Jamie. Um, with the signal, it, it's, it's again, coming back to the previous technology, isn't it? They, they yeah. use like a homing signal, homing device to get the, the rocket to land. The Ice Warriors are using something very similar to allow the fleet of ships they've got to just all, you know, it's almost like, put okay, what do they call it? Like um, dropping a pin on Google Maps, isn't it? And saying, come here. It's that kind of equivalent, isn't it? To the, to the aliens saying that this is where you want to come to. You follow this signal, which I, I liked because it's using the same technology from, from earlier in the story. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It, it, there's a lot of planting, ironically, planting of seeds and foreshadowing and, <laughs> and things that tie in incredibly well together. It, it, is, it is a very good, very intricate, well-told story at its core. Yes. This is I I am gonna add a butt on the end of that later on. Okay, interesting. Um back at the beginning of, of part six, the doctor is surrounded by foam and I mean if you imagine I suppose the the final scene from the nineteen eighty four Ghostbusters movie when the marshmallow man's exploding, it's kind of that level. <laughs> he's, and, he's, he's he's either having a really good rib or a really shit bath. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, he's hammering on the door, shouting, let me in, let me in. Um, Jamie distracts the Ice Warrior so Zoe can let the Doctor in. Uh, what happens to that Ice Warrior then? How do they How do they get shot at that one? I can't remember. Uh, oh, let me have a think. So, oh, yeah, I remember now. I say I remember now like I didn't watch it six hours ago. <laughs> um so this is the bit what I was on about before where Jamie does his whole, you know, too quick for you routine and and sees off ah. the uh, sees off the fatty ice warrior. Uh, I can say that I am also a fat so. Uh, so, so I don't think anyone's open. I don't think anyone's gonna think you're body shaming an ice warrior, mate. I think we're okay on that front. No, you never <laughs> know. You never know. Um, <laughs> then they take refuge in a storage cupboard that is another solar energy room. And this is where Jamie accidentally turns off the lights because he can't resist pressing buttons. And the oh, doctor finds him, the doctor eventually hits the hits the button with the word shut on it to put a blast door through. 
Ah, so yes. The Ice Warriors trying to blast through the door with a really good sort of squiggly effect going on there. I'm pretty sure it was just a wobbly bit of aluminium or something like that. But it looked really good. And mm. that gives the Doctor enough time to make a portable version of the trap that fits up on the moon. Yes. So the Doctor basically just walks out. Uh, the Ice Warrior gets distracted by a bunch of guards. There's a sort of extended battle sequence. And the Doctor just absolutely fries him with a couple of roulette wheels on bin lids. Yeah, uh, it's like, I mean, the note I've got is they look like um, if you attached handles to the back of two walks and had light bulbs in them. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> and a couple of, I'll be honest, have you ever watched um, <clears throat> the Family Guy episode where Stewie ends up taking the cast of Star Trek out for a, just for a day at the fair? No. <laughs> so, so at one point, it's basically like a, a, an adult taking a, a bunch of kids out and it's just a, a, a nightmare. You know, he takes them all building and there's one that can't go to the toilet on his own and, and all the rest of it. Right. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the way that Trowan was holding these two dishes, you know, with like the sort of the, the light, bulb effect, light bulb efforts on them. I don't know what popped into bed was one of the Patrick Stewart lines from that Family Guy episode where he just goes, look at me, I've got girl boobs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. One thing I did like with this, with this battle scene, at one point, they know the bullets have no effect, but the Ice Warrior just fully tanks a headshot. Yes. <clears throat> that yeah, was I got Terminator vibe. I got Terminator vibes from that. Yeah, that looked brilliant. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the Doctor's got all this this weapon, it's working, they know what they're doing, they're, and then he's going to fix the um, fix the control so they can get the rain going, and it's all sort of falling into place now. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> What I do like as well, the, there's a bit of dissension among the Ice Warrior ranks because the Grand Marshal is in touch via the, uh, the the TV in the elephant's leg. Um, is saying, you know, without fusion, what can we do? And he's, the leader's just like, I'll just go get another technician. It'll be fine. We've got the team at. It's no problem. Yeah. They're starting to rely on the team at as much as the humans do, which is sort of a, a bit of an irony that that becomes the, the ultimate downfall. Um but yeah, it's it, again a lot happens in this, and it's around about this time the doctor's going to go up there and take out the ice warrior signal, so that only their satellite signal will remain, which is sending them is, basically to their death, isn't it? Their signal, the, the, the ice warrior ships are going to think it's the signal from their commander to go down to the to the earth or the moon, but it's actually the sending moon, them yeah. to the sun, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it's going to put them in an orbit that will fry him, which is pretty dark for the Doctor. It is, yeah. As far as, uh, as far as nowadays goes. But the Doctor is going to go up there with his weapons, sort it all out, and then somehow come back, despite the fact that the the delay button doesn't work and it's not fully operational yet. But, you know. And then the Doctor does something. You know when we have things where they've just made them do something stupid because the plot needs it. Yeah. This annoyed me because the Doctor goes up there, he's got his weapon that takes out an Ice Warrior, no problem. He zaps it, then immediately takes everything off. Yeah, why is that? Because they needed him to be fucking captured again. Yeah. Well, he hadn't been captured for at least 17 minutes, so he's he's due. Yeah, well, they've they've got to drag out the the end of this episode a little bit um, because he, fr- he fries the guard, puts the weapons down, uh, t- even takes the battery off and, you know, Slar 
um, kidnapped him after he's had a bit of a poke around in the uh, in the elephant's leg with the t- with the television. And basically offer him the same deal that they offer Fusion, as long as he's used for the lip. You know, and learn the trans. Learn, learn, I nearly did it. You know, I nearly call it transmat, and learn the feedback controls. <laughs> and it's it's all very. Well, I say all very drawn. It's a little bit drawn out, but it's, it's a bit of a wonderful moment where I've had the, I did like five and a half episodes of this plan emerging from the Ice Warriors that will be very clever and very intricate. But then the doctors just managed to do them over with a couple of little intricacies of his own, and I really like that. Yeah. Because he didn't yeah. stop the transmission from the from the elephant's leg. He just turned it down, so his register is properly transmitting, but it wouldn't even get out of the room that they're in. Brilliant. So Genius. Kind. Genius. And you know that means that he can, he can fry an entire armada. Which is what oh. you want to do on a Saturday, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. You know, pass the time. Um, while you're waiting for bullseye to start or something. Yeah. Um, did, did you clock? Did you clock the weird exchange of um, sort of what you did this when you did that? When Slaz said, "You killed our entire fleet," and he just looks like, "Well, you tried to destroy an entire world." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at I that, know, point, you at that point, yeah. And Slaz saying, "Earth will still die." You know, it's like it's a bit of a no, 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 no going on. Yeah. And the doctor's the doc just like, "Actually, you fucked that up as well," because we've discovered how to destroy the fungus. So we're good, thanks. And they make it rain, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they do indeed. It's pissing down. As we find out when everybody gets back to Earth. Mm-hmm. And they're having like a, a, a big conversation then in the con because everything's dealt with now, isn't it? The Ice Warrior fleet is getting burnt to a crisp in the sun. The Ice Warriors that were there, the Doctor has destroyed them with his, his walk and light bulb uh, combo. Um, he's got back to the London base with Jamie and Zoe and all the others. And they're having a big conversation about the future of you know the team mm. out and if rockets can be incorporated and all this and it's oh what about what do you think doctor turn around and he's gone and the final scene that. is them all sneaking off to the tardis because he's saying i, I don't want to get involved too many questions and and they get in the tardis and just nip off and i thought that was really good yeah love that behavior just decided yeah. to piss off and dematerialize off to another adventure and, and fountain's final adventure that we've already covered uh which has, i still wanted to call enemy of the world but it was war games <laughs> It was. It was. <laughs> Enemy of the world is much better than war games. Whoa. Oh, war. I don't know about that. War games just take so long. It's bloody brilliant though, mate. It's really uh, good. It's, nah. But anyway. <laughs> We've had this argument. <laughs> we have. But that's that's kind of the end of this six parter, Seeds of Death. Um the Doctor and his crew are now setting off for another adventure probably arguing over what tape they're going to put in the VHS recorder to watch on their journey. Yeah, no, but doctor, I want to watch Braveheart. No, Jamie, no, you know, all that sort of shit. Um, final thoughts then, Dan, to summarize, uh, what did you think of this? I enjoyed it uh, for the majority. As I said, it was a really interesting, really intricate story. The majority of it was well told. There's, we, we haven't delved too much into it because if we we're going to di- do that deeper dive into a six-parter, we'd be here for three hours. And you've got to sleep and I've got to eat. So we're not going to do that. Um, there were just a few bit annoyances. As I say, Fusion's whining. They did a great job of making that guy an asshole. 
Yes. Just a whingy little bitch. Yeah. Um, to the point that it's off-putting. I, I almost wouldn't want to watch this again because Futurum annoys me so much. Oh, why? Really? Okay. I, I will I will watch it again. But it'll be in the knowledge that Futurum's a knob and it, it'll frustrate me. Um, as I said before, the, the problem, the other problem I had was the way I watched it, the Ice Warriors breathing and, and all the hissing really got on my nerves. Yeah. It yeah, really did. And I try not to hold that, that against it too much. Um, and the people not being able to run away and, and Zoe's total sort of alleged total recall not working when it should and and things like that it, it just a lot of little annoyances that mount up to me not giving it the best rating in the world but but i did like it it's still you know it's it's an above average episode so if i was going to put a number on it I, I, the highest i could probably go would probably be about a six and a half out of ten because it okay. does drag a little bit it's a little bit padded out um the serious, more serious side of Troughton was interesting as well. There wasn't as much of, of sort of the you know the little scamp, the little tinker, um, character going on. Um, but I prefer a bit more of the little scamp. And so it's not my favourite, uh, but it's by no means bad. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Um, I bloody loved this. I don't know if it's because I'm just becoming such a huge Triton fan. I always liked him, but the more I watch, the more I enjoy. But mm. I loved this. I thought the the plan that the Ice Warriors had was fantastic. I thought the way they got around it with the the, the weather control and all that sort of stuff and the, the, the false signal was so clever. I mm. loved this, and I would happily go back and watch this again. I think, obviously, we've still got, what, another... 10 stories or whatever it may well be to watch in our fifth season of the podcast before we get to our ranking episode. So it's difficult mm-hmm. to say with any real certainty because we've got so much more still to view, but in these early days, these early episodes of our fifth season, I can see this ranking incredibly high for me at the end of the, at the end of the season countdown episode. I loved it, mate. It was great. I'm glad you did. I really, I can see how you got there. I really can. Um, if, if I'd have spread the viewing out, I might have been up there with you. Again, that's on me. It's an entirely subjective take, and, and for you know, part of why I've maybe rated it a little low. But to, to give it a perspective, you know, I've still got it at like sixty-five percent out of hundred. It's still way above average yeah, for me. Yeah. So I can see it being upper mid-table. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right before we depart, Dan, what are we doing next week? Uh, good question. I don't have that in front of me too, ticks, because I never do. Because for some reason, this always catches me by surprise. We uh, do it every week for sixty-nine <laughs> episodes. <laughs> I know. Sixty-nine every week. What? Hey, oh, oh God, haggis. Oh, there, there's a mental image. <laughs> um, so next week, where's we're my going flute? Over. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it's <up your> <laughs> Um, next week we're going over to uh, to UTT Rob's pick, which is the John Pertwee story, Planet of the Spiders. Oh, that's a regeneration story as well. Is it? Oh, spoiler yeah. alert. Cheers for that. What you, it's like fucking 50 years old, mate. Yeah, but I've never seen it. Fair enough. Sorry. I apologise. <laughs> you're, you're in quite a good mood there that I didn't know was coming. I think you did because when Rob brought it up, or we've discussed it in the past, maybe not for the podcast, but we've discussed it in the past. I said that's the uh, the episode where we get the line, "A tear, Sarah Jane." 
yeah, I didn't know it was a regeneration episode. Maybe if we did speak about it, that'd be like weeks ago. I'm not going to remember that. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, it's all right, like, I'll, probably, I'll probably forget yeah, yeah. by the time we watch it. Yeah. I was going to say, you got a week. I've <laughs> <laughs> oh. got some high percentage beer in the fridge. I'll, I'll just destroy the memory now. Yeah, do it. Do it. Right. Again, before we depart, where can people find your good self online and all the shows you are involved in, please? I'm over on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting absolute bollocks about things. And if you want to hear more of me talking about stuff, I'm over on UTT Podcast, where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling. That's Unbooking the Territory. And we've got the side project, uh, Unstacking Dadatory, where we look at uh, Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks and all their matches that still survive on the road to Wembley 1981. And I'm not quite sure which ones will be going out. Uh, after that, we've got a variety of other side projects as well uh, that go on back in the archives. And I'm here on SJP World Media doing the volley, providing alternate Premier League commentary with my strike partners, the magnificent Matt Lewis and Connor from Connor Knows Footy. Awesome stuff all round. Anything I'm involved in is carried by the network that carries this show. So you can find that on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and all those places at SJP World Media. Make sure you're giving it a follow, a subscribe, a like, and all that good stuff. And we've got all sorts going on there. We've got the volley that Dan mentioned. We've got more time travel. We have a Quantum Leap podcast called The Waiting Room with myself and Mr. Benny Mac. Uh, We've got plenty of wrestling content as well. So much going on there. Make sure you check out all the shows on SJP World Media and sharing them all over the place as well. But most importantly, you can find and follow this show itself on Facebook and Twitter at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D R W H O P O D at the Doctor Who Pod. Awesome stuff, Dan. Next week, then a tear, Sarah Jane. Oh, I wish I could say it's going to be nice putting a uh, putting an image to that phrase, but there's far too many images already rocking around my head. <laughs> oh brilliant stuff I'll speak to you next week mate yep catch you soon bud oh we're not going to thank people for listening you're not doing that anymore okay no, I don't know what again I'm tired I'm sorry thank you everyone for listening oh, no, no, I, can't remember, I can't remember why I've noted this down but I think it was when you were talking about something being remastered I thought you were going to say remasturbated <laughs> oh dear me it's rare that the final outtake isn't as dirty as stuff that you've been coming out with on the show. I'll give you that. I, I need to go to bed. It's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. I don't want to go. That was a nice nap. Now, down to business. Recording. Yes, there we are. Right, I'll crack us down and we'll get off, shall we? Yeah, let's crack on. Three, two, one. Sorry, mate, I had a little bit of wind then. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally about to say hello, and, and, but my, I had a little burp come up. We'll do that again, shall we? Oh, that, that, that'll, best, that'll best make the intros. <laughs> uh, we will start again. Three, two. One. Hello and welcome 